matter of fact, I want to bring up somebody who heard those words. Robert, would you come up here for a second, please? This is Robert Roberto Mendoza. Mi buen amigo. Um, 19? There it is. Now, tell me, my friend, how old were you the first time you heard someone say these words to you? He was 12 years old the first time you were placed under arrest. And it wasn't the last time you were placed under arrest. Bring that right up here. Okay, that wasn't the last time. Give me give a little testimony about what you experienced growing up, okay? When he'd come back from wherever he was at, uh, he'd, he'd get drunk and get smoked pot, and so we got to smoke pot with him. You know, at that time it was it was fun. It, it was the coolest thing. We get to laugh at each other, slap each other around. But um, at 12 years old, I got caught for shoplifting and for being drunk in public at 12. And uh, it got worse. My mom and dad didn't really know what was going on. But um. I was diagnosed at 32 with um, manic depression and PTSD. Uh, I was in another prison for a long time. <laughs> Altogether, it was nine years. Man, uh, I had people, people like uh, Billy, you know, when you come in and she gives you a hug. <laughs> people like Pastor Doug, you know, uh, the other day I got to work with Pastor Doug. Uh, we did a little bit of service work. Oh, man, that is awesome. Uh, uh, Matt, you know, he, with the Bible studies and, uh, matter of fact, with the Celebrate Recovery, you know. Uh, and just everybody here at this church, I, I can come here, you know, like George says, you know, any time of day. Uh, and somebody will talk, stop and, and have a conversation with you. And that is like the coolest thing ever. And, and see, at the beginning of my walk was, I didn't like Christians. Uh, matter of fact, I, I punched him in the face while I was incarcerated because he tried to talk to me about God. You know, and it was, like I said, it was really hard for me to, to make that change. Uh, my first five years, I struggled really hard, really hard. How could have God love me after everything I've done? You know, and, and so it, it took a while. And that you're forgiven? Man, it's everything. I mean, he took away everything. I, I don't take no medication. All that is, all the, the PTSD, the, the, it's all because of God. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, when I, when my whole life, I, I blamed everybody. People, places, and things. But my whole life was ruined by them. And it wasn't. It was a lie. Three more words and you change your life. You change your life because you heard you're under arrest, but you've also heard you are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. You have the power of the Lord on your tongue. You are forgiven. If you trust in Jesus
going on what 12 years now. Yeah, yeah 12 years. <laughs> 12 years. Now, has it been easy? No. <laughs> no. 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 Oh yeah, I'm gonna stay at Christ Fallers. Yes. She'll be back. Well, I gotta go Friday. Leave Friday from here and go pick her. Yeah. 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 Yep. And money's been raised to help you be able to do that, but that's just one thing, and then another thing has to come. Oh, there's good things happening already. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Robert, thank you so much. You're welcome. Let me pray with you just before you take off, because okay. I wanted the power of this word. Words have power. That's right. I had someone with me to say you were under arrest, and their heart was not to look at someone and say, you are forgiven, and to see all the people coming in and saying, you're in power. Father, thank you for my friend, Robert. Yeah, words can change your life. But let's talk about this for a little moment, shall we? Words can also define your life. There are some words that can actually define who you are, not just change your life, but define what your very existence is all about. Let me give you a little background here because um, we're going to be talking about a church that, um, boy, they just didn't get it, okay? They just didn't get it at all. And it was the church at Corinth, and it was one of uh, Paul's problems, child. He, he planted the church, and then it kind of grew, and it got out of hand. And, and all the people in the church, they thought that the Christian life was pretty much defined by signs and wonders. It was really big to them. Who, who, who had what gift and the better gifts, whether you had the gift of prophecy or you had the gift of, of, uh, of tongues or you had the gift of healing or whatever. And it was really a church that was defined by all of these signs and wonders that were going on out there. And they would look down their noses at, at one another and, or feel badly because somebody had one gift but somebody else didn't have that same gift. And someone who could speak in tongues was far superior to someone who just kind of gave money. And someone who could preach the word was far superior to somebody who just you know kind of worked in the kitchen and help the, the gift of helps. And that's how their whole church, they were defined and they thought their Christian walk and was defined by all of these gifts and signs and wonders. And Paul writes to them and says, knock it off. Because it's not true at all. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, L- let me tell you about gifts. Remember that gifts come by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give them to better people. They just come from him and you get whichever gift he's going to give you. And then he says, but you know what? I'm going to even show you a better way than defining yourself by your gifts. And then he starts with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which you all know. You hear so many times, you know, at weddings, and it has nothing to do with weddings because it was written to a church. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Then by the very end of the chapter, after he talks about love and prophecy and all these other things, He says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. 
Let me give it to you, the, the straight on in your face translation. Grow up. That's what he said to the church. Grow up. You're acting like little kids being excited over stupid stuff. Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Let me translate that for you. You guys don't have a clue what's really going on. And nobody does. Nobody on this earth can really understand everything about God. So if you think you've got him figured out and you've got this whole thing figured out, you're fooling yourself. One day we will, but not now. And now these three remain. Nothing about gifts, nothing about tongues, nothing about prophecy, nothing about healing. He says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He said, you know what, you know, you've been allowing these things out here to try to define you. And you're all wet. You're all wrong. You're little kids. Grow up. Let me tell you, there are three things that are going to define who you are in Jesus Christ and the way that you live. And what is it? It's three little words. Faith, hope, and love. That, those three words should be the words that define us. Someone says, well, what's the Christian life all about? You say, faith, hope, and love. Well, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And you say, faith, hope, and love. How is it that you live your life? And you say, you don't say that with enough conviction. Maybe by the time this series is done, you'll say it with a little more conviction. This is it. I don't care what gifts you have. Those come from the Spirit. He gives them as He wants, and you're supposed to, but it doesn't define who you are. This defines who you are. This defines everything you do if you're Christ follower. This defines the way you live. Faith, hope, let me, let me just show you what, what it means, okay? For the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this one. How about this? Faith, and the reason this is so important is faith starts us on the journey, okay? We're going to talk this morning about the fact that if you don't have faith, you can't even start the journey. Hope keeps us on that journey. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Love is what I do on the journey, okay? Read this with me. Ready? Faith starts me on the journey. Hope keeps me on the journey. Love is what I do on the journey, all right? Does that make sense? This is the definition of what it means to be a Christ follower. For the next four weeks, we're going to see how these words should be played out in our lives. And this morning, we're going to start with the whole idea of faith. And here's why. Ready? We're in your sermon notes. If you want to follow along, here we go. Faith is my starting point. And let me tell you that faith is the starting point for everything that you do. You say you don't have any faith. You have faith. You are here by faith. Some of you, you started your car by faith this morning. You know where my car is? It's next door in the shop. I'm not even going to try to start it. You know why? I have no more faith in my car. I lost my faith in my car. The alternator has gone out. I know that if I try to drive it more than a mile, it will just stop. I have lost my faith in you. Have faith in your car, don't you? You, you put that key in this morning, then you drove over here and it's sitting out there. And many of you are going to jump in your car and you're going to turn the key again. Why? You have faith in your car. Notice I will not do that. I don't have faith. You had faith we would be here. Faith. Now, did you have proof we were going to be here? No. We've been here every week. So you say to yourself, well, that's probably really good evidence 
that they're going to be here, but you didn't have proof. By faith, you said, you know what? I'm going to go to church because the pastor will be there and we will have a wonderful time of worship. Without faith, you cannot even begin a journey with God. It can't even happen. This is what the Word of God says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Many people that I've talked to, they want proof of the existence of God. I can't give you any. There is no proof of the existence of God. God has done that on purpose, by the way. There is no proof. Now, there's lots of evidence. I think there's lots of evidence that there's a God. I think there's lots of evidence that we would be here this morning. There was no proof, but you had evidence so many weeks. That there's lots of evidence out there that there is a God. And I would encourage you to kind of, there's actually a whole science, if you will, a study of the evidence of God, and it's called apologetics. It's all out there. You can read about it and see all the evidences of God, all the way from scientific evidence to testimony, other things. Because remember this, my faith is based on evidence, not proof. Okay? Quite honestly, I believe Abraham Lincoln actually lived, and I believe he was our 16th president. I believe that by faith. I have absolutely no proof because I didn't see him. The only way to prove it would be to be there, look at him, and go, there he is. Now, based on the evidence, and that evidence would be historical writings, eyewitness accounts, I have faith that Abraham Lincoln was indeed our 16th president. Based on the historical accounts, in the eyewitness testimonies, I have faith that God exists and Jesus is his son. Based on that evidence, I cannot prove it to you. I can't. And for the people who have to have proof, I can only tell you you're not going to be able to walk with God. All he's going to give you is evidence and then say, now it's up to you. What decision do you want to make? See, this is how the Bible describes faith right here. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay. By faith, and we'll talk about hope in a couple of weeks, by faith I hope for the resurrection of the body and eternal life. By faith I believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit right here and right now. I can't prove it. But by faith, I believe it. Now, all of this is probably not new to most of you, but this next thought might be. You ready? Another thing about faith, here it is. The quality of my faith determines the quality of my life. Now, there's a statement. The quality of my faith determines the quality of my life. Let me give you, there are three types of people that we see within Scripture. One is called people of no faith, people of little faith, people of great faith, all right? Those are the three, people of no faith, people of little faith, people of great faith.
for a very short period of time, and then you're gone. And you will be gone from the presence of God for all eternity. And all the things that you did on this planet will mean absolutely nothing. Because eventually everybody, one thing that all of us agree with, scientists who don't believe in God, those who are strong Christ followers, we all believe in one thing. Eventually this planet, this earth, will disappear and everything that's on it will be gone. Which means everything that happens here, everything you think you're building, won't be worth anything one day. It's going to be gone. Everybody agrees with that. If you have no faith in God, you have existence, but you do not have life. Take a look at this passage right here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You were, what's the word? Dead. Sure, your body breathed in and out. You had existence, but you did not have life. People of no faith have no life. Now, people of little faith, guess what kind of life they have? They have little lives, kind of small lives. If you are a person of little faith, and by the way, most of us in this room would probably be called people of little faith. We have, and if that bothers you, then use the word smaller lives than you should. Use that phrase. God created us for a certain type of life, that abundant life, but many of us never experience it. Our lives are smaller than they should. We have little lives because our faith is little. This probably describes most of it. It's what Jesus called the crowds. It's what Jesus also called his own disciples. People with little faith still lead important and maybe significant lives, but it's just not the lives that we should be leading. For instance, let me give you an example. If you have little faith, if you are a person of little faith, you probably and almost certainly have more worry than you should. Okay? If you're a worrier, Jesus is going to say it's because you have little faith. Let me show you that. Jesus is talking to the crowds about their, about their priorities, about what's important to them, and, and he says to them, like, you're so concerned about the everyday things of life. You know, you, you look at the lilies of the field and, and the birds of the air, and they don't soil, and they don't, I mean, they don't toil, they don't reap, they don't sow, they don't do that kind of thing, they don't harvest. Boy, don't you think God's going to take care of you? Now, by the way, remember what he said there. He didn't say that we can sit back like the birds. What he said was, they don't sow and they don't reap, and God takes care of them. Imagine what God can do for you when you do what? Sow and reap. Okay? He wasn't saying just sit back and let God take. He said God takes care of them and they don't sow or reap. They don't work hard. You can work hard. Imagine what God can do in your life if you're willing to work hard. There's a little side sermon there for you. All right, we'll come back to it some other time. Okay? And he talks about them, and this is what he says. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which are here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of what? Little faith. You're so worried about the everyday little things, and it's because you are a person of little faith. People of little faith also experience more fear. Not just more worry, but more fear. His disciples went out on a boat with Jesus. That happens quite a lot. This particular time, um, Jesus is sleeping in the back. It's been a long day, and he's sleeping, and a big storm comes up, and, and the disciples are really fearful because they think they're going to die. 
So they wake Jesus up, and this is what we read. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, what? Oh, you of great faith. No. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. He said, I'm, I'm here. I've always been here. Why did you have no faith in me? Did you really think that God would allow this boat to sink and we would all drown? You don't know who I am, do you? You don't trust me. You don't have any faith in me. If you had faith in me, you'd be sleeping because you knew that nothing could happen. But your faith is fickle. People of little faith also experience more failure in their lives. Now, these are people of faith. They trust God. They love God. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. But they just haven't been able to develop the great faith that Jesus wants within us. They experience more failure. Peter, all the disciples are in the boat again. This time Jesus isn't with them. Jesus comes walking to them in the middle of the night on top of the water. You know this story well. They think it's a ghost. They're afraid. Jesus has those great words. Take courage in his eye. Don't be afraid. And then Peter says, you know, Lord, let me come out to where you are. And Jesus says, what? Come. Peter, get out of that boat and walk on the water. This is what, it, this is what we read. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, first of all, remember, he didn't, he didn't say, Nathaniel, save me. Andrew, save me. John, he knew exactly. He had great faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who was going to be able to save him. It wasn't his companions. It was Jesus. Save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If our faith is small, we're going to worry more. We're going to fear more. We're going to fail a little more often. Because our faith is little. Now, I need you to take a couple breaths right here. This is not a condemnation. He didn't condemn Jesus, Peter. He didn't say, Peter, you failed. You're out. I'm going to bring somebody else in. Peter was still beloved of Jesus Christ. It's just he wanted so much more for Peter and Peter's life. Because the quality of our faith determines the quality of our life. People of no faith have no life. People of little faith have called us smaller lives than they should. But tell you, I'll tell you what, people of great faith have what? Great lives. They do great things for God. Because they have great faith in his ability and who he is and who they are. And their relationship with him and what they're called to do. It's incredible. People of great faith have great... Now, Jesus, several times throughout Scripture, encounters somebody and goes, Wow! What faith! This is amazing! Look at the faith that they have! He said it about, about the men who, who had their friend who was a paralytic, and, and they brought him on a mat to Jesus. And in one part of the story, they even got up on the roof because they couldn't get to Jesus, and they dug a great big hole in the roof, and they lowered this guy down right to where Jesus is, and Jesus goes... Whoa! Look at that faith! And the man was healed. He did it with, with women who came to pray for their daughters. He did it 
with a Roman soldier. This Roman soldier had heard that Jesus and trusted completely, had great faith in Jesus and his ability, and he comes and he kneels before Jesus and he says, my, my servant is sick. Can you, can you heal him? I know you can do it. Just say the word. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, this is great because the Roman soldier isn't even Jewish. He's a Gentile. He said, let's go. And the Roman soldier stopped. Do you remember what happened? The Roman soldier stopped him and said, no, Lord. I'm not worthy to have you here. I'm not worthy to have you even come into my house. But this is what I know. All you have to do is say the word. You don't have to be there. You say the word, and he'll be healed. This is what Jesus said. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Whoa, the guy's a Gentile. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel. You can see the disciples kind of, whoops, with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. People of great faith do great things for God. But I want to tell you something. We don't have time to go into today, but check me out on this one. Give you a really good Bible study for the rest of the week. Notice that in almost every instance, every time someone came for great faith, it was in behalf of someone else. That's key. That's huge. People didn't come with great faith to say, I have great faith that you will give me a million dollars today, so I'm going to buy this and write that check because you're going to give it to me. Well, that check's going to bounce, all right? Could he give you a million? Sure. Will he? No, of course not. Why? Why would he give you a million dollars? What would you do with it? Probably spend it on yourself, right? Yeah, squander it. Why would Jesus do that? But every time Jesus said, man, look at the great faith. It was the faith of those men bringing the, the paralytic. It was, those, it was for in behalf of someone else. Our great faith to do great things for God isn't for ourselves. It is to do great things for God on behalf of other people. Oh, man, I want to be a person of great faith. Great faith. So how does that happen? I'm going to tell you how it happens, and you won't like it because I don't like it, and I'm assuming we're pretty much the same. Are you ready? How do we get strong, great faith? Write this down. My faith is strengthened through testing. How many of you uh, work out at a gym? Anybody on a regular basis say, hey, yeah, 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 I see. About a year and a half ago, I started working out more often. At, uh, no, maybe you say, well, you don't look like it. Well, okay, that's debatable. But I started working out, and part of it was to build some muscle because as I got older, I'm 61, I wanted to keep the muscle that I had, maybe build a little bit more. So I did a little research on how it is that you actually keep and how do you build muscle. What happens? Do you know that muscles will only be strengthened once they're under stress? 
If you do not stress your muscles, your muscles will not be strengthened. Even on the molecular basis, you have to stress them so much to the point that you actually damage that muscle cell. You hurt it. And then your body builds it back a little stronger. That's how muscles get built. The first time I really worked out at the gym, I'll never forget this one, because I was doing all the machines, things like that, I do them about three or four times a week. The first time I did it, there were little bitty microscopic tears in all the muscles of my arms and legs because that's what it's supposed to do. And it didn't hurt too bad when I just finished. The next day, I could not lift my arm. I remember sitting in my chair, and as many of you know, at, at home, I, I love lots of iced tea. I reached out to grab my mug of iced tea. I could not lift it with one hand. It hurt so bad. I had to reach over with two hands and shaking, bring them up there. But I tell you what, in most of the things that I've been doing, I have almost close to doubled the amount of weight that I started with. There were some machines that I started lifting 50 pounds with my leg, and I'm up to 120 pounds. Guys, again, look at me, so let's not, I can say this because we're not talking, ah, all right. This is just to be a little bit stronger. But that's the only way to build your muscles is you must put them under tension, under stress. Well, guess how you build your faith. It must be under stress. Because that's how God builds our faith. Talking about the trials and temptations and things that happen, this is what Peter says to the church. These have come. The reason you're going through what you're going through is so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine, the trials, the temptations, the struggles you're going through are all designed to make you stronger in your faith. When we are tested, it is not to see if we will fail. We are tested sometimes when God knows we will fail. But he also knows through that testing, we'll come back stronger. And the best example I can give you is the life of Peter. Let me tell you about Peter. Peter was that braggadocious disciple, the one who would just, you know, I can do anything, Lord. First one to speak. Sometimes he got it right. Most of the time he didn't. You always knew he was going to put his foot in his mouth. The key was how was he going to get the other foot in there with it? He always did. Jesus predicted the night before his crucifixion that they would all fall away. Looked at his disciples. Had a nice, wonderful dinner with them. Dinner's all over. He said, what, did, you, did you like that? I hope you did because... All of you are going to turn your back on me. All of you. Every single one. And Peter, not me, oh Lord. Everybody else, but not me. Not me. Within just a few hours, Peter had denied Jesus Christ not one time, not two times three times. But before all that happened, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. Now what did Jesus just say? 
Peter, your faith is going to be tested and you're going to fail. You'll deny you even know me. But what's the purpose of the testing, Peter? We're going to put your faith under stress and it's going to break. But when you come back, not if, when you come back, you will build your brothers because you'll be a stronger man of faith because of what you went through. And not many days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter preached the first sermon and over 3,000 people joined the church. But first, his faith had to be tested. Now we're going to stop right there. We'll pick up the rest of it next week. Some of you, this has been a week of testing, hasn't it? I mean, the fact that my car breaks down is no big deal. That's not a test of my faith. That's small potatoes. Some of you are really hurting. Because the faith that you have in God is being tested and you're being put under stress. And when your faith is put under stress, it hurts. When your muscles are put under stress, they hurt for days, but they get better and you get stronger. Your faith is being tested right now and it hurts, doesn't it? This is the word this morning. Don't give up. You know what I did when my muscles hurt so bad that I could barely move? You know what I did? I went back to the gym. And I kept lifting some weights, whatever I could. Funny thing is, after a week or two or three, it didn't hurt anymore. <laughs> and after a few months, I could lift a whole lot more than I used to. My heart rate came down. My blood pressure's coming down. That's how God builds our I know right now it's hard to say, Father, thank you for this time of testing. I go to the gym now about four times a week. Let me tell you how I feel about it. I hate it. Every single moment is agony. I, there are these people who love to work out. I don't know who they are or what's going on in their head. Whoa. I hate it. But I also know that's the only way that I'm going to be able to maintain some type of health. Some of you are being tested right now, but it's because your Father loves you and He wants your faith stronger. Do not give up. Keep walking with Him. Keep coming to church. Talk to your friends. Be encouraged. But here's the promise. When the test is over, not if, you will be stronger in your faith and one step closer to that great life that is reserved for people of great faith. Let's pray. Father,
in honesty, we have to tell you we don't like times of testing. Sometimes we've looked at these times of testing and, and we think that maybe you're testing us to find out if we would fail or not. Father, you already know. You knew Peter. You know what's going to happen to us. This isn't a test to find out from your perspective whether or not we're going to pass. Father, this is a test to make us stronger in our faith, to trust you more completely. Because, Father, it's people like that that do the great things in this world for your kingdom. And that's what you're calling us to be. So, Father, I pray right now for each and every person who is going through that time of testing, the pain that they may be experiencing, the hurt, the fear, that, Father, you would give them encouragement. When it's over, they will be people of greater faith because of what you're allowing to come into their lives. So, Father, in this next few moments, let us encourage one another and pray for one another. In the name of Jesus, amen. In a moment, Caleb's going to come, and he's going to lead us in our Selah time. Selah is just our, our time to think. And I'm